We don't always get in car accidents. We don't always go through a pandemic. We don't always have divorces in our families. Right. People don't always die, right? But it's it's remembering the children we were and what we needed, right? And I think oftentimes, not only would we be left alone in stories, but we were left alone without all the extra good things we needed. We might need have just needed a little bit more time to understand it or a little bit more time to cry or a little bit more time to ask questions because then we came to our own conclusions. And oftentimes because children are egocentric, we think it's about us, right? Mm. Mom and dad got in a fight. It's because of me. Dad left because of me. My brother died because of me, because I said, I wish that he would just go away. Well, he did. Mm. Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, Night Shift Emergency Physician, Burnout Thriver, and Wellness Champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Dr. Gregory here. Did you know that I'm on YouTube as well? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory, MD. See you there. There. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom Tribe. It's Dr. G, and we are back for another exciting episode of the Fearless Freedom with Dr. G podcast. Today, we have Wisteria Edwards, and she is going to talk to you about who she is and all of the incredible things that she's doing. Take it away. Well, thank you so much. It's so nice to have uh, the opportunity to talk with your audience. Um, like you said, my name is Wisteria Edwards, and I am an educator, influencer, um, and I'm also a business owner. So I also do my own podcast, but my business is uh, called Simple and Deep, which serves women to help them understand insecure attachment, helps them engage their stories of harm and heartache, and live intentionally. So um and then I also just released a book based on the personal papers of Mr. Rogers, as well as um, my teaching experience and my own journey uh, to heal insecure attachment. So it's a lot that's going on, but it all kind of comes back to attachment. So, and then I also teach kindergarten, like we said, before we started. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've been an educator for 24 years. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a journey. I've taught K through 12. So um all of my practice and all of my work really comes back to the heart of what I do, which is fostering hope and helping people understand who they are and what they bring to the table. So I think that's fearless in itself sometimes, right? Yeah, <laughs> to be absolutely. authentic and to engage our story. So that's kind of the nitty gritty of what I do. Okay. All right. So um, what got you into teaching? Like, how did that happen? Well, you know, what's interesting is I didn't have that like 
aha moment as a child where I was like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life, right? Like everybody has the one teacher that they'd invite on Oprah and she would like shower them with gifts or whatever. I didn't. I actually had really crappy teachers along the way. And I remember thinking as a child, I deserve so much better than this. But the first teacher that I was really in love with was uh, my second grade teacher. And she was a brand new teacher, so full of enthusiasm and love. And yeah. we started school on my birthday, which was really magical. And then she saw me through some pretty tough stuff that year was the year that the challenger exploded when it oh, went up yeah. into space with the teacher mm -hmm. Krista McAuliffe yes. as well as I was in a horrific car accident where I ended up with brain damage I hit the the dashboard my dad was you know getting me in the process of putting on my seatbelt, and we hit this guy hit black ice and t-boned us and the rest was history unfortunately in the 80s we didn't call it a brain injury <laughs> like we called right. it so many other things like I was I had a mental block or I had all these different things but really I ended up in in special ed classrooms or in resource rooms where they were pulling me out because I had so many difficulties with my fine motor and my computation. So those two things really struggled. And I wasn't completely in SPED, but like I was definitely labeled with um, a learning disability. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get past it. Right, and right. no one ever said to me, you know, what, you know what, sweetie, you hit your head. And that is an injury to your brain. Your brain was like bleeding. It was moving in your head. No one ever sat me down. I felt like I was always left alone in a story. And that's something I'm super passionate about is the fact that we experience developmental trauma when we are left alone in a story without an empathetic witness. We're, we're left alone with questions. And as children, we'll come up with our own answers. So uh, fast forward to the next year, my teacher was just, she was such a bully. And she made fun of children. She was just horrendously mm. mean. And um, I remember um, as I started to study my own story and engage my own story, because like when you went to med school, right, you had tons of studying to do um, education, same kind of thing. So we study everything but our own story. And we don't look for the patterns and the contours and the themes of our life. And if we really go back and look at those things, they're there for a reason. Right. It's the reason yeah. that we become doctors, teachers, the reason that we stand up and fight for the things we care about. Right. And so um, as I went back, I realized that um, I wrote out the story because writing things is so incredibly helpful and integrative to our brain with, when trauma is concerned. And so as I wrote out the story, I had to put some pieces back together. I had to realize, you know, we were making this really stupid craft that was jointed and it was a skeleton. So I had to be like, okay, so it was probably October if we're doing that, you know, so kind of putting that together and then thinking back to when we had the accident, it had only been about six months since I'd hit my head. So mm, that in itself was really right it was yeah. fresh very very fresh i mean if you knew of a child that had hit their head in a car accident you'd be telling the parents not only i'm assuming as an as a physician this is going to be a long process mm -hmm. in a lot of ways right trying to rebuild that but my parents were not guided whatsoever really by the whole thing and um but this woman was just berating me again and i guess this day was the day i finally just had enough and i remember balling up the the craft and throwing it in the back of my desk and she must have caught me or someone narked on me or something because yeah. all of a sudden I remember she turned her attention on me and started to berate me and I could feel that as a child like that heat coming up on my body um you know and then I felt that clamp in my throat and I knew I was either going to cry which I didn't want her to see me cry because then I knew she would just get worse right and um 
But I had this principal I loved that was still there at the time. And I kept thinking, if he would just walk in, if he could only see what she's doing to me. And I think a lot of children are left in moments like that, where if one other person would have seen this, maybe it would have stopped, right? But this was the moment where I actually stood up for myself. And I actually blurted, I hate you to her. And I said, you can't treat me like this. And I started, I remember I was just bawling, but I stood up for myself and I said, this is not okay for you to say this thing, wow, these things a, to me. And it, it was like silence right and the kids were like oh my god we are out and the recess bell rang and i went to stand up and she was like ah, nope you sit down put your head down so i you know of course all the kids just took off because they were like we, she's gonna die like they knew that i had just crossed the the, the the finite line of that's not gonna work so um but i remember watching her through my fingertips and she couldn't say anything of i silenced her Yes, because she was a bully. And I think this is something we need to help our children and all of us need to know, like, when we finally stand up to something that is absolutely terrifying, it's not as scary as we thought it would be. But it's that moment right before where we're like, it's either sink or swim right here, girl, like this is it. And that, Charmaine, is when I became a teacher. Okay, that's when I became a teacher. And I realized that's it. So when I went to school, to college, I had degrees or I had um, scholarships in in drama and music. And yeah. everyone thought I would either go to Broadway or I'd go through to opera, right? And I was like, well, I'm going to be a teacher. I had no idea why. So until I found that my answer was locked in a, ver- in a story of my own that I'd never really thought about. And that's something I'm so passionate about. That's the second part of my business is engaging our stories because not all of them are harm or heartache. Some of them are funny or some of them are ironic or like, oh my God, when we look back, we're like, oh my, that's exactly where I was heading the whole time. But I thought it was like the worst day of my life, right? But then it's like, that could be the day that starts the trajectory of the rest of all the things that are supposed to happen, right? Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into education. And, And then it's been it's been completely unorthodox. I've taught in small settings. I've taught at Sylvan Learning Center for a while. I taught, so I, and then now, you know, I've taught middle school and I've taught high school drama and I've, ta- I've just done everything. And so if you look at my resume, people are like, what is this, right? But it's really, I'm just a teacher. I'm a teacher regardless of what I teach. So when people say, what's your favorite? I'm like, you know what? I fall in love with the children I teach regardless of what, what grade they are. And what children need has not changed. And when I worked with the papers of Fred Rogers, that's really what came out was like what you needed as a child and what I needed as a child. That has not changed. And what we know about attachment and how people bond and connect and receive love, that has not changed. It's just the world around them that's changing. And it's becoming harder to connect, right? We're distracted. Yeah, Yeah. Right. So that is kind of, yeah. So, I mean, it's, and you look at it from a medical point of view, but I look at it from, you know, what I've learned about the brain, but also how I see children entering the classroom and how they can't cope. I mean, I have one little boy today. I said, here's the deal, mama. Like I said, if this happens tomorrow, I don't know if he should be going pumpkin patch. Like he was such a mess today. He kept crying, crying, crying. I finally said, what is up? And he was like, I've been getting up at night. And I was like, well, you better stop doing that because I don't teach babies and jerks. So if you're going to be one of those, I have to help you with it. And you've been crying all day. And his mom said, yeah, he's been getting up in the middle of the night. I said, well, then there needs to be a repression. He's not getting enough sleep. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And he's a grouch. Poor kid. Yes. He's like, I need my sleep. (laughs) 
I know. And he's like, I want to take a nap. And I'm like, I want to take a nap, but I don't get to take a nap. How fair is it if you get to go take a nap in the library, you know? So that's it, really. It's just about um, understanding that, that the things that happened to us when we were little have not gone away. And I think a lot of people think that they have, but they're coming into every interaction we have. The children that we were, we still are. And so when we are dysregulated and we're in a fight or flight kind of stance and and we're at, at that high stress level, which we know about stress, right? you know, if we were thinking of it as a diving board, we're at a three, if it's like five is the part where we completely lose our crap, right? Mm, yeah. I'm sure that in an <laughs> ER, what, where are you at? Like 4.5? Like, I mean, like trying to keep it really calm and really... Right. So it's like we're always, and under stress, we're going to regress to the ways that we learned how to cope. So in any situation, we are, we're becoming children over and over again. And what do we do when we get mad or upset? We turn into children. We're slamming doors and getting angry and saying things we don't mean. And it's because those parts of us are still needing someone to come alongside and just say, hey, look, we, we, we survived this. Right. So that's kind of been my fearless journey, I think, for like the last, I don't know, uh, 10 years now, I guess I would say. Okay. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Even talking about fearlessness, like engaging your story is the bravest work you'll ever do because we have parts of ourselves we do not want to go revisit. No. Right. <laughs> but I heard this last week that the magic that we're looking for is in the work that we're avoiding. Oh, snap. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, so. Yeah. Like, and that means even emotional work. Like we keep saying, oh, I'm going to do some self-care. It's not bubble baths and wine. Right. It's like yeah, yeah. really understand and being curious about what it is that, why are we acting like such a jerk when that happens? Right. Like, right. why is it that I have such an extreme reaction to something? And oftentimes it's rooted in a childhood wound. Right. Mm. Yeah. So as I started to study attachment, um, I just had a lot of behavioral addictions and I was like, why am I, why am I sabotaging this great life that I have? And my counselor was like, you have insecure attachment. Wow. So I was like, okay, peace. How do we figure that out? Like, let, let's get on it. Right. Right. Holy crap. I had no idea what a journey that would be, but we can borrow from someone's nervous system, which is what babies do for their mamas. Right. So as she, because my counselor had a um, secure attachment, she could then loan it to me through our interactions. And I've done that with colleagues. And then I started to use it in my classroom and did that for children because they were coming from what we know are called adverse childhood experiences. So way back in what was like, I think it was like 2017, they started doing the Kaiser Permanente study where they were looking at the adverse childhood experiences, right? And they were seeing if they came in that people had what? heart disease, obesity, all these different markers, right? And then when they started to look through them, they saw that all these people also had the ticks of all these different categories. So uh, divorce or um, incarceration, watching a parent that was being um, abused, they had drug addiction or what alcoholism, all these different things, which are very common, not just in one demographic. Yeah. You know, it used to be that people were like, oh, is that in an inner city school you're working at? No, it's not just people in poverty. It's not just one right. demographic. It's all people. And it's funny because I moved from one side of the the city where I lived to, or, yeah. you know, worked and to the other. And I was like, one, there's white people here. Cause I worked with all Hispanic kids. Second, there was so much, it was, it was the same crap. It, they're just hiding it better. Right. Like, and it's, it's so funny or it's just different problems. Right mm -hmm. now I'm dealing with a lot more autism. I'm dealing with a lot more domestic, um, 
abuse or, you know, things that people are really trying to hide from the outside world. But they're still the same things that children are witnessing. And it's changing their brains and it's changing how they interact with the world. So um, the book that I just wrote was based on a little boy that entered my classroom after 15 years in this new place that I was supposedly leaving 100% poverty to go to 70, which seemed like, whoa, huge. And uh, because I didn't know that places had PTOs and PTAs and soccer moms. It was so different. Oh, that's like like a new deal. Yes. And they want to give me money. It's kind of hard to like be part of that when you got to be working to support the family. Right. You know know what I mean? That's exactly it. Yeah. Like my parents were, oh my gosh, my, like I, I loved it. Cause I, I ate the best food ever. Cause most of them were like first generation coming up from Mexico. So my staff that I worked with would be like, Hey, whiskey, go over there and try that salsa. So I was like the token white girl that would go eat something and then die from it because it was so hot. And even the Hispanics weren't eating it. And they're like, like they're watching me like die. It would be like if I were going to eat Cajun food or wherever, like we all have these things that we know our own culture, like don't eat that. So I should have known that the whole thing was full. So I shouldn't have touched it, but they're like, try it. Oh Oh, man, it was mean. Right. But, um, so I got really comfortable, even though I wasn't fluent in Spanish, like the cadence of Spanish was very comforting to me because those were the children I taught. Those were the families and they had two, three jobs. Um, I had mothers that would come in and visit just to learn English in my classroom. So it was just a beautiful experience. But I also knew that uh, because my children had so little, um, they didn't have the clothes they needed. They weren't eating as much. There was a lot of um, just just unfortunately there was neglect because the, the families were trying to make it and there was, they were so right. big. And mm-hmm. so I was stuffing backpacks with everything and, and maxing out, not maxing out credit cards, but like, I just, I was so codependent because I wasn't well yet. And so I was a lot of secondary trauma was happening where I was constantly planning for every kid. And I felt like I couldn't take a day off and I couldn't trust anybody else with my children. It was like me and my kids were an island and I closed the door and it was like, we're against the world. I even took one class from kindergarten to first grade. Cause I was like, I need to k- take care of these children, which is so common with teachers uh, because they, we, and I think, and then I started to come up with this conclusion that we are foster parents for an entire year, but we're not just foster parents to one or two child children. We're foster parents to 20 or 25 or 29 children. And mm-hmm. that is a heck of a lot of responsibility to try to learn a child in nine months, make a difference, and then give them away. We kick them all out of the home. So that's traumatic for children as a whole, too, because now some of them I got away from my third grade teacher, God bless it. But like there are teachers who if we're doing our job the way we should be doing it, those children, that's a traumatic event to leave their teacher. So um, my my mentor challenged me, you know, like it's time to go. So I did. And this little freckled, blonde haired, blue eyed boy looked like he was trying to be Eminem the rapper, like coming in chest bumping every, (laughs) oh God, yeah. His dad, oh no, I'm not even kidding. He was sagging his pants. I was like, oh Oh, man, you know, oh yeah. Like, and he thought, oh my God, it was so bad. And um, his mom was about to have a baby. His dad had just gotten out of jail for possession. It was a mess. And his mom was like, well, if his dad picks him up, he doesn't really know his dad. So it's kind of scary for him. And uh, make sure he's not high. And I'm like, uh, no pressure. Uh, excuse me? Yeah. Like, 
it was just it was just a crap situation and he was so out of control and and it was clear that he had witnessed domestic violence and so he so going back to aces he had like nine out of the 11 and i'm like what the heck do i do with this and they'd like to do this at the beginning of a school year they like to give the te teachers and Teachers can probably say, yeah, if they heard this, they'd be like, yep, they give us this crappy presentation where they're like, these are adverse childhood experiences. Have a good year. And you're like, what the heck do I do with them? And they're like, be, help children be resilient. It only takes one. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm one. And there's 22 of them. Right. And they all have aces. So like, I am only one person and everyone loved us during COVID. But now they've they've forgotten they loved us. And now they're back to complaining about us, right? Like they're wow. like, you're not doing enough. So it's one of those things where I know that every child is someone's whole world. But I know that someone's whole world is in my classroom. So that's a huge responsibility. Right, right. So this little boy comes in and he's like beating the crap out of people. And he's mean. Like mm. he is the most unlikable child ever. And I'm thinking, how is it that I left this horrible situation? And this is 10 times worse. This little blue eyed boy is going to take me out. So mm. I started mulling over what could I do? Because I didn't even feel well yet. I was still in counseling. So I'm thinking, what do I do? How do I help him? So I thought, well, um, I have Mr. Rogers. Like, that's how I was like, uh, he's not online and maybe he's on YouTube. And so I like typed in Mr. Rogers goes to the Crayola Crayon Factory because we all remembered that episode. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. And so because it was rad. It was the best. Yes, I use the word rad. It's probably dating me like a million years, but it was rad. So Listen, I, I love Mr. Then, Rogers, especially when he spoke to Congress about children. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and the thing is, so I put him on and just prayed to God that it would work because I needed a serious miracle with this little boy because he was tanking in my presence. And I felt like I'd used every tool. And I was like, I never suck at relationships. And this kid was what we know now is disorganized. He has reactive attachment disorder. So what would happen was that he Instead of having, you know, we have the quadrant of like secure, then we have anxious, we have avoidant. And then at the end, we can also have disorganized and children that have been immersed in trauma and that either their caregiver is terrified or terrifying them. The baby cannot figure out what to believe or who to believe. And so any type of relationship or interaction or connection can be terrifying to them. So they'll jump between, if we were thinking of it as a river, they'll jump between avoidant and anxious. So like one minute, whatever I did with him would work. And the next minute he'd be telling me to F off. And I'm like, wow. oh. like, it was just so much work. And people were like, oh, well, he's terrible. And like, and I'm like, I know, but he's my terrible. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there was just this part of me that was like, I will not freaking die on this hill and I will not let him die with me. And and then I got really mad. Like I got super mad about watching kids like him tank and emotionally die in front of me. And then I got angry about the fact that um, teachers were emotionally bleeding out on kids like they were screaming at kids. And I was watching colleagues complaining about kids. And I started putting two and two together and asking myself, like, could it be that the wounds that I was healing were the wounds that were being activated in educators. Mm. So I started just kind of thinking about that and, and watching what was happening with this little boy. And it started to heal his brain. 
It was the most powerful thing. But my mentor asked, she gave me a challenge. She said, when you watch Mr. Rogers, I want you to do a couple of things. One, you don't get to multitask, which is like the queen of all things that teachers do. When, when kids are watching a video, there's no way we're sitting down to watch it with them. Like magic school bus, do your thing. Like we got to go do this <laughs> to get ready for the next thing. And kindergarten's that way. Like we have to be 20 steps ahead of them, right? But I chose because I needed him. Like I was so scared that this little boy was going to just take me over the edge and nobody takes me out. Like I'm strong enough right. and I know that. So like the fact that he was making me <laughs> so scared about trying to figure him out um, was challenging. So I was like, okay, I'll do anything. And she was a retired teacher. And so um, I trusted her judgment. Yeah. And she said, sit down, pull up one of their chairs and model to him and to the, all the other children, how to receive Mr. Rogers. And she said, and then I dare you to recognize that love is going to show up. And Fred never said God because he never wanted children to be excluded if they were Muslim or if they were sure, Buddhist absolutely. or wherever their, yeah. their walk of life came from. Even though he was an ordained Presbyterian minister, they ordained him for television, which was so radical. So he was super radical, right, from the beginning of his work with child development. And people don't realize they need to, if they haven't seen it, the Morgan Neville documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, not the Tom Hanks movie. I'm talking about the actual documentary, and it's on Netflix, I think, right now. But it's so powerful because you would see that Fred Rogers was incredibly complex. He was not as cookie cutter as people think he was. Yes, he was the same as he was perceived on television, that he just showed up as himself. But he absolutely layered everything he did. He was so careful and intentional about every single part of that show that he is teaching children things besides what he's teaching. So um, I trusted that. I trusted him explicitly to meet the needs that I couldn't. And that came from believing at three years old in my implicit memory before. So people will cry. Like you, you see that video of him talking mm -hmm. to Congress. Yeah. And you cry. Yeah. You see him, re, uh, you see him start talking on a YouTube video or TikTok and all of it. People would walk in and we'd be watching Mr. Rogers and they would just stop in their tracks and just like halt. Then they'd slowly sit down. And it was so beautiful because people just stopped interrupting me and it became this really sacred, holy thing. And, and if, the, if someone called her and I'd be like, you know what we're doing right now, right? Like somebody better be dying or someone better be on fire to be calling during Mr. Rogers. And then it became this coveted time and non-negotiable for me. And so I was like, if we don't get to anything else, we're going to get to Mr. Rogers. And then I started showing it in order because uh, Maxwell King um, wrote the book and he's a friend of mine now, but he wrote um, The Good Neighbor, which was he used okay. 10 years to be in the archive as well as he started the Fred Rogers, what they call Institute now in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where Fred was from. But he wrote that book. And what's even better is that LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow reads it as all. Oh, wow. So it's like the bomb. It's like Reading like, Rainbow. So, when... <laughs> yes. And, but oh my God, it was in my car. And when he gets to the part where Fred Rogers died, I couldn't even listen to it for like two days. Oh, I like was yes. like, I know it's coming. Oh, I know it's coming. Yeah. But he does such an exquisite job of reading it. And and it was such a beautiful gift because they were friends to be able to do that for Fred. Um, but uh, just the intentionality of Mr. Rogers was so... It was so beautiful. And so when I went to research, um, 
I started to just use it. And then I got um, involved with with Max and other people that knew um, how to get involved with um, going to the archive where all of it, like his his puppets are there, his shoes, his sweaters, oh, wow. the clock, Daniel's clock, everything. Wow. It's just amazing. The trolley's there. Yeah, it's amazing. But um, he also has about 20,000 archives from the show, all of his scripts and notes and dreams and things. So um, I just asked if I could, and he left it specifically for educators and teachers that want to know more. It's not for just academics. It's it's really supposed to be that was his lifelong dream after listening to his family and friends that he wanted, not only he wanted to teach there, but um, his own trauma kind of chased mm. him and he never wanted to go to the doctor. So he was sick for three years before he actually got into the doctor. And mm. by the time he found out, when they opened him up, he had stage four stomach cancer, which goes back to his avoidant attachment. So he also had an insecure attachment. He was avoidantly attached. So people with avoidance tend to swallow their feelings and they will die from things like, oh, you know, stomach cancer and things that are kind of rotting from the inside, right? Because of the fact that uh, they're not allowed to have waste. They're not allowed to um, experience emotions. And that part of their brain doesn't develop the same way as a child that has anxious attachment. So I married my opposite. And oh, really? uh, I'm married to a nuclear chemist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, awesome. so it's one of those things where I, I have I literally put a feelings wheel or something in front of him, and I'm like, pick one, try any of them, just because the classic response of an avoidant attached person is, I don't know, because they really don't. They right. haven't really thought about what they feel about it. They're logical, right? So. Maybe the same thing between a, t a a doctor that's way over the top with bedside manner and someone that's like, I need to check these charts and get things done. Go. Right. Like, so you can have two different types of doctors right, and one person wants the doctor that's not going to ask them how their vacation was. They just want the facts. And then you have the other person that's like, boy, he didn't even ask me how I'm really doing. And so it's like, I can see that that would be a problem as a as a doctor too. So which one do you tend to be? Are you the the really, well, I want to know everything about you or like, let's get to business? So well, which one so are you? my craft doesn't allow for the, let me know all about you. It's very quick, <laughs> you know, low it's like, data, high please. stakes. Yeah. 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 So, so ER, I, 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 have, ER. I have become yeah. a master of building rapport in like 15 seconds. <laughs> Good for you. That's amazing. I know. Right. Hey, it's Dr. G. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. I'm so honored to have you here with me. Did you know that I can help you to get your own podcast started? With my podcasting launch course for professionals, I walk you through everything you need to know about starting a podcast. I'm with you every step of the way from sign up to launching your show with five episodes ready to go. There's a done for you version that's also available. If you would just rather just do recordings and leave the behind the scenes work up to us, then that one is definitely for you. But either way, we've got your back here at Fearless Freedom with Dr. G. Oh, if you already have a show and you need production services, we have monthly plans available for you. So check out the links in the episode show notes for more information. Let's get back to the show. And it's sometimes it's, so this goes back to what attunes, attunement is what heals broken attachment. Attunement is 
And this, you can do this in 15 seconds. It's us basically in a metaphorically taking off our shoes and saying, I'm going to enter your emotional experience and I, I'm going to be here to support you. Well, if you entered the emotional experience, experience of someone that was bleeding out and you laid on the floor and started crying with them, there's not a lot that's going to happen, right? So nope. it's, a, it's a classic <laughs> example of what we do when it comes to when we dysregulate with children. So it's we cannot take what they're doing personally. Although it might be something where they're telling us how much they hate us and it's not fair and I, you know, you're so mean and whatever it might be. But the thing is, is that that's a bigger thing that's going on. They're trying to say, I need connection because all, all of us are craving to be seen, to be heard, to be known, to be found. Right. So yeah. I almost died of uh, my pancreatitis and then I my gallbladder literally almost ruptured in my body last year. So I almost died twice. And I think to myself and then I fired one of my doctors after I'd had him for 20 some years because I kept telling him that I was in pain. I kept telling him that something was wrong and he kept ignoring me and then he wasn't calling me back. And this is a family physician I'd had forever. And it was really difficult to do because it was almost like I was trauma bonded to my own doctor. But mm -hmm. I was like, you're not hearing me. You're not seeing me. Like he just kept kind of putting it off and saying, oh, it's probably nothing. And by the time my surgeon took my gallbladder out, it literally ruptured in his hands. It was that bad. So my mm. new doctor keeps apologizing to me for being thorough. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. Like he sat there and I watched him clean up my file of years and years and years of negligence. And it's funny because now I just feel so loved. I feel so loved because he's good at what he does and he he's up on the newest research and I wasn't on, you know, things that could have like some of the, the medications I was on were actually compromising my gallbladder and he'd never, the other one had never monitored that. And so it's like, now I love it. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to have you come in again. I'm like, we can come in a million times. I would come in every day because I feel seen. Sure. And yeah. you can do that in 15 seconds. You can, you can also do it with verbal and nonverbal, right? So it's a simple touch on the shoulder, like it's going to be okay, I've got it, you know? Or, you know, if it's an elderly woman who's sitting there, you know, thinking my husband might be dying, you know, taking her hand and giving it a squeeze or whatever it might be. Like, we are so afraid of touch that we've gotten rid of it completely, even with small children. And I'm like, uh-uh, it's coming back. So like, when I sit with Mr. Rogers, I literally will put whoever, like, so blue eyes was that. I call the, the spot in front of my knees my hot spot. I pull three sticks with, like, I call them lucky duck sticks, right? They used to have ducks on them, but they fell off. Anyways, but it's the idea that, like, I pick three. So they get to sit beside me. All the rest of the children can lay down. It's the only time they can lay down. And what I do is I literally will attune to those children and the ones that are near me, I will touch them. I'll put my hand on their head. I'll rub their back. They might lean on to me, whatever. I'm just loving them, snuggling them, right? Mothering them because a lot of them don't have an attuned adult that's willing to come into their emotional experience and not scream at them about how it's inconvenient. But some people won't even look up in, from their phones enough for just their children to say, this is how my day was, or mm. they give their child a screen. I mean, I don't know about you, but every time we go out to dinner, we will see tables upon tables of people that are on their phones and no one is talking to each other. So we are not in the same room that we need to be in. Right? Yeah. How, many, us, how many times have you treated someone that got in a car accident because they were texting? I'm sure oh, yeah. it's many, but you don't, oh, yeah. right? Or 
whatever, right? Like we are so distracted and we think we're connected, this false connection. Yeah. Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers said the best part about television is the moment we can turn it off. When he was on TV, but he said, we need to be talking to the people we love. He said, I'd rather read a book any day than watch TV. He watched like the Waltons and a couple other things. He really didn't like TV. But it's the idea that he did it because he felt like it was the best way to, to reach children. Absolutely. So what he did is he he modeled secure attachment to us. He looked in the camera as if he were talking to one child. So our stance to children has to be that we get below them. We have to get below them. We have to touch them. We have to get near them. We have to look them in the eyes. And we have to know that they know that we see them, period. We stand over kids all the time. Um, another thing would be how we use our eyes. Like, does our face light up when we see children that we love? Like when a child sees our face, just like our we do when we see Mr. Rogers' face, do we feel like, okay, there's my person. So kindergarten is a perfect place for this because they walk in and it feels like freaking ER. Like, I think that could probably be, I, I put on a lot of Band-Aids, girls. So like, I'm thinking maybe I could fill in for you for a couple of days until yeah, yeah, then there sure. was a dirty Band-Aid. And then I'd be like, <laughs> hell no, 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 done. But um, dirty Band-Aids, I can do everything. I catch puke in my hands, but dirty Band-Aids, they make me want to throw up. I don't know what it is about the dirty, crusty Band-Aid on the floor. I mean, yeah. I watch booger eaters all day. And I'm like, go wash your hands, you broder. Like, they're yeah. so nasty. They're just mm. vile. <laughs> anyway, so, I, oh, my God. So, anyways. Harbingers um, of disease. That's what I call them. Yes. They're, they're just like little Petri dishes. But you know what? I keep really my cute, windows though. open. They're cute. But they yeah, are I'm little glad you think they're cute. Moms. They're not cute to me. I know. They're germ like, moms. <laughs> and I know. And their moms are, like, crying the first day of school. And I'm like, I'm not going to keep any of them. I'm going to give them all back. <laughs> I'm like, please take extras. Like, I don't want any of them. One time I used to, I used to teach my son kindergarten. I was like, then I had to take him home. It sucked. Sucked bad. <laughs> never touch, never teach your own kids. People at homeschool. I'm like, you're crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like we, so we, you know, it's the, it's our, it's the proximity that we have with children. Like, what do we do when they're near us? You know? Um, so I taught all of my students. So I've, I've done Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with my students since 2018, every single day in order, even during the pandemic, which is one of my greatest, I think, rewards and also accomplishments. Um, even twice a day when we were in AB, whatever that business was, you know, hybrid. But um, we do it because it matters. We do it because it's necessary. We do it because they need to know that there are men in this world that aren't going to violate just because right. they're interested in children. We've gotten so weird about this. Yeah, like, yeah. and I get it. I get all, and I have tremendous compassion for all of the things that have happened, but not every kind man is going to be a pedophile. And it's right. kind of how we see the world now. And it's so sad. Um, and so I want, I don't, I don't endorse Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood as a cartoon because they need Fred. They need him looking at the camera and being kind with his eyes. And he had these big, big beautiful blue eyes and he looked at them, right? And um, he's modeling how to greet someone. He always introduces us. He always comes back through the door again. And things that have really been solidified for me, such as some of the things are that, you know, grownups that love you always come back for you. Always, because they want to. So when you have the deadbeat mom or the deadbeat dad, I say, you know what? They're being selfish. Your daddy's being selfish. And it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. And there are people right here that love you. 
who will always show up for you no matter what? My grandma. Yeah. Your grandma is one of those people that just, just takes really good care of you, you know? And it's okay to be angry at daddy for doing that. It's okay. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. You know, just like we are so grownups will lie to children because they're uncomfortable with it, not because it's good for kids. Like they'll say the dumbest stuff. I don't know. If, I'm sure you come up across some of those dumb things. But like Fred said, stop saying that grandma went to sleep and didn't wake up when she died because now they're afraid right. to go to bed. Exactly right. Like people are so lame. Like I'm like, you're uncomfortable. So COVID, I told them, you know what? COVID is an adult problem. And adults that love you are going to keep you so safe. And you never have to worry about COVID. So there's times where children come to me and they're trying to cope with the world because they have mommies that are emotionally unwell, right? Or daddies. And they're used to being enmeshed. They have these little parentified relationships. And so I really work on them. Like, how old are you? I'm five. Oh, okay. So here's the deal. Do you trust that I'm a wise adult? Does Mrs. Edwards love you? Yes. Okay. So I will let you know if I need your help. And I just want you to enjoy being five. And I often say to mom, uh-oh, you're doing it again. Everybody hand me back the teacher because they all want to be bossy. And so they pretend to throw it back at me. And I'm like, okay, good. Somebody was trying to do my job. You know, but like, I'm just trying to help them be kind. I don't want to, the world, I just say, the world does not need more jerks. And I tell them the truth. That's another Fred Hallmark. Tell children the truth. They can handle it. They can. They can handle it. My favorite. So in the book, um, I have this part where this little girl in the middle of freaking math, of course, because children are so good at, about that. But she's like, is Mr. Rogers dead? And it's like, like record scratch, mic drop, right, you know? Like, right, right. And, and all of them look horrified. And Chase is like, we saw him yesterday. Like they're devastated. Right. So the uncomfortable adult could choose to say, oh, no, he's there and he's going to come through. He sees us and make it all magical. And Fred hated that because kids would walk up to him on the street and be like, my dog died. He'd be mm -hmm. like, and then he was very shy as a person, but he would get down on his knees and he would, he would go through it with them because they didn't know that he couldn't see them. So it's really important that we, that I tell my children, like he was a television neighbor and he made lots of programs on TV, but he made, he left almost 900 for you. So I said, yes, Mr. Rogers did die. <clears throat> How? I said, it didn't just happen. It happened all the way back in 2003 and he had cancer in his tummy. Do you guys know what cancer is? Oh yes. My grandma had cancer. Yeah. But not everybody that has cancer dies from cancer. So my husband walked in with a big fat bandaid on his nose from getting something taken off. I said, Oh, Mr. Matt, why do you have such an enormous bandaid on your nose? Which I wanted him to say, because my wife told me that I should have had this two years ago and it really was cancer. That's but not I what he said. No, he just said I had cancer on my nose and the kids are like, Mr. Rogers had cancer. And I said, but Mr. Matt is not going to die from that cancer. So not all cancer is something we die from. So, you know, Fred says, everything is Fred. Like sometimes isn't always. We don't always get in car accidents. We don't always go through a pandemic. We don't always have divorces in our families. Right. People don't always die, right? But it's, it's remembering the children we were and what we needed, right? And I think oftentimes, not only would we be left alone in stories, but we were left alone without all the extra good things we needed. We might need have just needed a little bit more time to understand it or a little bit more time to cry or a little bit more time to ask questions.
because then we came to our own conclusions. And oftentimes because children are egocentric, we think it's about us, right? Mm. Mom and dad got in a fight. It's because of me. Dad left because of me. My brother died because of me, because I said, I wish that he would just go away. Well, he did. Mm. I threw my puppy and, he, and killed my puppy when I was five. And that was an enormous amount of shame for a child to carry around. And so in my own healing, I went back to that moment and my counselor said, okay, so imagine that you, you're, you're there at the veterinarian office. Cause my mom rushed the dog in. Right. And then I, cause I had thrown the dog thinking it would land on its feet like a kitten and right. he hit the cement and he had blood coming out of his nose. It was horrifically traffic, like so traumatic, oh, but horrible. no one came out. Yes. No one came out and said to me, sweetie, you had no idea that would happen with your puppy. Right. And um, I was left alone in it. And so as we went back to that memory, she said, just enter that moment with yourself in your mind. What, what do you do? And the, what happened was the kindergarten teacher showed up because I work with five-year-olds every day, right? And so I imagined myself coming to this little girl and saying, Lucy, I'm here and I'm your, I'm you all grown up and you survived this because a trauma our brain is trying to figure out why something happened. And so our amygdala, like it doesn't know time. So every time we rehash it, we're just re-traumatizing ourselves, right? So like, mm-hmm. I feel as though people need to recognize if you're going to rehash it, go back with the, pro- the process of healing it, not just mulling it over all the time, right? So, um, yeah. So I, I was able to say to this little girl, like, I'm so sorry that you were left alone in this story. So if we look at anything... Uh, you know, I, I feel like just to kind of sum up all of this, it's it's really the most fearless thing I've ever done was to ask myself questions about who am I mm-hmm. and why do I have these reactions and why do I tether to unavailable people or why do I stay in situations too long when people are hurting me? Mm. Why? Um, I realized as I looked into my story I presented this weekend to a bunch of teachers and all of them were sobbing. And at the end, they all had crazy moms. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes the hardest thing we'll ever do is to untether from the one person that was supposed to love us, but didn't do it well. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But a lot of people are like, but it's my mom. And I'm like, but if your mom was your, your, was your abuser, you have to make peace and become that mother for yourself first. Like you have mm-hmm. to love yourself enough to know what you'll tolerate or not tolerate, regardless of who it was. But that's the hardest wound because attachment is our first heartbreak as a child. And so I truly believe, Charmaine, that like every single thing that happens later leads back to that. All violence, all adversity, all of it leads back to brokenness, right? Like someone not realizing that they were loved and then we pass it on. So that's why we have alcoholism. Now we're looking at epigenetics, all those different things. We, we pass it on. So now you're treating it in the hospital, you know, you're treating, and I'm treating it in the classroom over and over again, but it can be done. Like I went from insecure attachment to secure attachment. That's what's so beautiful about the brain, right? It's the plasticity of the brain. It can be rewired. It can be, it can be remolded. And what an amazing gift that is. In any situation, the fearless thing of of knowing this might hurt like a serious mofo while I'm going through it, but eventually, (laughs) yeah, but eventually it's going to be worth it, right? Just like if a bone breaks or whatever it might be, 
it's going to really hurt for a while, but I promise that there is such freedom on the other side of it. And then you're able to say to someone, Hey, I, I have the answer, like come along. And, and to kind of conclude, like I, I asked people that knew Fred, like, what did he, what did he study? You know, like what were, what were the things that mattered the most to him? And they said, intentional play and get this attachment. And I almost fell off my chair and he was there with like Dr. Benjamin Spock, Eric Erickson. Oh, wow. Uh, Oh yeah. Like all of the biggest names at the end of the sixties and early seventies in child development. If you have ever attended a preschool or had your children go to one, you can thank Fred Rogers because he was the catalyst for so many things getting started. Yes. Maria Montessori will, will give her credits as well. Right. But like, honestly, he, like what he was doing at the Senate, when he was testifying, he was saying the inside world of a child matters it matters. And if we keep failing them over and over again, they are going to go out into the world and create more war. They're going to create more violence. They're going to create more racism and bigotry and poverty. They're going to create more harm because they won't know anything different. So we have to choose to stop whatever we have in our lineage and be the one that engages it, turns around against the bully, right? And says, you don't get to do this anymore in my life. And it's going to be so freaking hard if it's like, if it's an internal system in our family or if we are a placeholder, like it's really hard. But I just think that's the only way we're going to get through it. And it's going to change the world, right? Yeah. I mean, the children really are the future. I mean, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> right. And like, what kind of future do we want to live in? Like someday my kids are going to be taking care of me as an old lady and I'm not going to have much influence already. They're at college and they're like, can you just send me some money? And I'm like, boo, like well, I wanted to get some stuff done too, but now, you know, they're, they still need to eat where they're at, wherever right. they're at. So of course, 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 course. That's awesome. So, yeah. So you, you got to tell us, um, do you have a copy of the book there or no? Yeah, I have a bunch. So um, it's right here. It went live um, September 26th. So it's out. It's called Waiting for Mr. Rogers. Looks like this. And it's okay, full of awesome. these beautiful. Yeah. I hope you get a copy. It's fun. Um, it's not easy. Like it's uh, I'm friends with David Newell, Mr. McFeely, the yeah. speedy delivery guy. And uh, he got it in the mail and he goes, whoa, this is meaty. And I said, well, what did you think I was writing for three years? And he goes, well, it's just not a table book. Like it's a, it's <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I know. Like it's so it says teaching with attachment, attunement, and intention. But the thing is, it's not about teaching, it's about living and loving with it, regardless of you teach, because all parents are teachers, all teachers yeah. are parents, right? We are all fostering each other and we're all mothering each other. So if if your listeners have a really crap mom, okay, and they have a mom or a mom that has passed or whatever it might be, you can have secure attachment with other people. And that is your way of giving back to others when you let them borrow it from you. So I have two colleagues at work that I mother every day. And it's oh. not like, oh, sweetie, let me do that for you. It's how can I nurture you? How can I get, lead you to what I know works? How can I tell you, like one of them is a brand new mother and she is killing it. Like she is rocking it. She is rewriting her story and rewriting her trauma. 
because she's doing it the right way. And he is the most secure baby. So it doesn't mean that we have to pass that crap on, but we have to know about it. So as we've talked together over the years, I've also, this is the other thing I believe about stories. They need to be named. They need to be articulated. They need to be pondered. And then they need to be blessed. And I'm not saying blessed like, oh, I'm so glad this happened to me. No. What I'm saying is that isn't happening again, damn it. Or I'm going to rewrite this. Like my kids aren't going to have that. And like, not just like being ridiculous about it, but like I, the same little boy is now in fifth grade that I wrote this book about. And oh, there's full of lots of children that I taught, but the blue eyes specifically, my little, my little thug <laughs> eventually was chest bumping. Like he literally, in fact, he even during his kindergarten year pushed his favorite little girl up against a wall and was reacting, reenacting the domestic violence that he had seen his father do to his mother. What do we know about trauma? Our body swallows it. Our nervous system swallows it. So those big reactions we have under weird situations or that deja vu we feel or um, the unease that we have in our body, that is our nervous system communicating to us. But we've gotten really good at pretending it's not there. Or it's just my personality. No, it's trauma. Developmental trauma is different than what we think it is. It's, in, it's, it's woven into every facet of our life. So fast forward to now, his father has decided to abandon him and not want anything to do with him after finally coming back into his life. Mm-hmm. So he's he's tanking, right? Oh, yeah. But I know that I am his neighborhood. I am his safe place. And so when he's hurting, the first thing he says is, I don't want to see Mrs. Edwards. I don't want to go down to kindergarten. So people are believing it. because. <laughs> and I want to say, first of all, I know this kid better than I know my hand and we healed together because not only was his brain healing, I was healing. And when he told me about his dad, I said, I want you to say out loud to me, your dad is a fool. Say my dad is a fool. Say it out loud. Your, your soul needs to hear you say it. My dad is a fool. And I said, and here's the deal. I want you to promise me one thing. I said, first of all, before I do this, I said, I want you to know I will never abandon you or forsake you. I will never, ever be a person that gives up on you. I don't care what you do. I'd really prefer that you don't do things that are illegal, okay? And be a good person when you grow up. I said, but I will always come find you. And honestly, I'm telling you, not him, I would see him if he had plexiglass and I had to talk to him through a phone. Like, he'd be like, oh man, my teacher's here again for visitation. You know what I'm saying? I hope to God because he's so he's so freaky smart that he's going to be like in some high rise or making a million dollars or whatever. But Or he's just happy. I just want him to be happy. I want him to know that he matters. But I said to him, can you just promise me one thing? And he said, what? And I said, just promise me that if you ever have a little boy, that you'll never abandon him. Mm. And he said, I would never, ever do that to my son. And I go, yeah. And I go, then that is going to be how you rewrite this story. Because I can't guarantee that your dad is ever going to see how stupid he's being kicking you out of his life. Yeah. I said, I can guarantee that maybe someday he might regret it and it will be up to you if you're going to take him back or not. But that will be your choice, not his. So you see, like giving children their voice back um, if they've been silenced, giving giving us our voice back if we were children and we were silenced through abuse or neglect, right? So that's what this is about. It's about one, remembering the child we were that watched mm-hmm. Fred. Like if we, oh my God, we are so freaking lucky if we grew up with Fred. Now I have to introduce children to him. 
think about this. Fred Rogers has been off of this planet for like almost 21 years. Yeah. That hurts me to think about that. That does not just hurt. Like children have lived in a world without Mr. Rogers for 20 some years. And I, it's not about becoming him. It's about really understanding that what it is that he did is super simple and deep. So he had a quote that I use for my business. So I turned it and I said, I called my business simple and deep, but his quote says deep and simple is far more essential than shallow and complex. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? So what are we doing with our own children or our own healing that is shallow and complex? Some of the things we might need to do are like this, pulling out a picture of yourself from when you were little, Okay. Yeah. making yourself your screensaver, right? Writing a letter to the child you were, talking to that child. So when you feel like you're really activated and you're like understanding how does your body react to stress and understanding that that child felt that a long time ago. And um, I have on my website, wisteriaedwards.com, I have a 60 second quiz that people can take. So okay. W-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A edwards.com and it's free. So people can do it and it gives them a, a, a customized report. And my big thing is, it's just, it's such a gift to look at your life and to see why you experience the things that you do. And so now I know that one of the themes of my life is to be a truth teller and be able to come to people and say, hey, your attachment is showing. Do you want to know about that? Right? So that that can be a fearless thing. But it's scary, you know, because people don't know, know anything about that. Go away. You know, we're just getting bit. Like, it's just the idea that like, but I'm using it every day and it still works and it always works. It always works because it's the beginning. So all of us have it, right? Like some of us have certain things. All of us have an attachment style, how we bonded and, and connect. And also how we try to keep love if we think it's love. We'll do crazy stuff to try to keep something, even if it's not good for us. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's a lot. Thank you for sharing the stories. Thank you for sharing yeah. about the book. Um, yes. And, and also I really just hope so it can go and take, uh, take the quiz. Yes, I think so. I think I just want people to know that there's such freedom, right? Like it doesn't have to stay there. Like we can not walk around with all this. And if we have children, what a gift to be able to give them a little bit more of us in a whole and full way. Because here's the deal. When once we get rid of all that shallow and complex stuff that is kind of blocking us, we can get so much more out of our kids and our time with them. We will actually stop seeing through our wounds and we'll be able to see them and see what they need. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really hope that this helps at least one person. I, I know. I think it will touch more than one person. But we have we have a tradition on the show that we need to do. Yep. Before we Which I loved. Off. I told yeah. you. Yep. <laughs> so they're fill mm-hmm. the blank questions, right? Yeah. Um, the first mm-hmm. one is if I am fearless, I will. Engage my story. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. And next do it one. through writing. Okay. okay. Do it through writing. That's that's a big one. Um, I and you might be like, I don't like to journal. Well, then type it out. 
word process it, but get it, like interact with it, right? And then go back and reread it. Because I think, and be curious, be curious about your story. Be curious about what made you, you and what influenced you, right? Sometimes it's one comment from one person that has completely changed the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Just be curious, engage it. That's awesome. Then the, the next one is, um, to me, fearless freedom means. Um, radical self-awareness. Really? Like just understanding that and having compassion for yourself and understanding that it's okay. Like, okay. So I had to really, especially doing the work with Fred, my counselor was like, you're going to have to give yourself a lot of grace as you study the work of Fred, because a lot of my behavior addictions abandoned, emotionally abandoned my own children. So we, there's, there's guilt along with that. Right. So yeah. Um, giving myself the freedom and the grace to know that I didn't know that what I was running from was insecure attachment. I was terrified to be a mother because I, I hadn't had one that had nurtured me like that. So my own children were terrifying to me. So I didn't know that I didn't know. I thought I, I thought I had it all together and I was like, nope, I'm a big fat mess. So there's freedom in knowing that other people are a mess too. There. Right. That we don't <laughs> all have to have it perfect, but being honest with it, like I'm a beautiful disaster. Is anyone else here that way? You know, like it's just, it's life. Right. But giving yourself freedom to know that it's okay. Yeah, indeed. And then the last one is my battle cry is. I love that. My battle cry is definitely that simple and deep is always best. It's the best way to go. Like the more shallow and complex you make something, the more it's probably not the answer. Mm. Yeah. And also, also when things are shallow and complex, it tends to be that we're very dysregulated. So we're probably not in the place where like the parasympathetic nervous system, if you think of it like a, I always think of it like layered dip, right? So if we want to be right in the center of that, if we cannot fully function, but see, the thing is, is if we've been living in a very traumatic state for so long, our brain gets stuck there. And so when we do heal, life slows down a lot. There's a lot more room for things. So what cool questions. I'm totally going to steal these and like take them to work tomorrow and say these to my team. And they're going to be like, ah, she was on another podcast. <laughs> like I always get these really quick. These have to be some of my favorites that I've ever received as a guest. So thank you so much. What a cool concept. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, we absolutely all that you do and, and your time and sharing. So we appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Have a blessed night.